have your Bibles, and I hope you do, let's turn to John 14. And I'm not fooling today. We are in John 14, and that's where we're going to be. We're looking at all sorts of good things in John 14. I hope you're as blessed and as encouraged as I am uh, in preparing and teaching this series on the Ascension, looking up for living out, okay? And uh, I hope you're seeing this doctrine in a new light, and maybe it's something that you never thought about much, and now you really see it. So let's look at the overview of where we've been. We're looking at, uh, remember that Christ's ministry can be summed up in two words, humiliation and exaltation. And the humiliation came with his death, burial, and the exaltation begins with his resurrection. And, and we didn't start there because that's what we're most familiar with. But we tend to forget that right after the resurrection, 10 days later, is the ascension. And out of that pours forth all of this heavenly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, where, where is Jesus right now? The answer is he's the glorified Adam at, uh, that is in heaven. Human flesh in the presence of God. What an amazing thing. What is he doing there? The first thing he did is he sat down as the eternal king at the right hand of the Father. And then what did he do next? He sent the Spirit. Theologians call that the procession, the, the, the sending forth of the Spirit from the Father and the Son. How did he do that? Well, he turned to his Father and he asked. He says, this is what they need. Grant your promised spirit to me and I will send it. And he didn't just ask for that. He continues to ask for what we need, which is mercy, and more, which is grace. Then what does he do? Is he just always praying? No, he's the sacrificial head. He's the head of the body. He's the bridegroom of the bride. He is directing his church. He is shepherding his church. He is the chief shepherd. He is the head with authority over the whole universe, but he exercises that authority in order to lead and guide and bless and grow and build his church. And today we're going to see the aspect of preparation. Jesus is the exceptional host. He has went there. He has went to heaven to prepare and to secure a home for us. And so that's why we're in John 14, right? And uh, too often, I hope to make a transition in your thinking from thinking, oh, this is the funeral passage. You know, this is the passage, which is often almost nearly every funeral. You're going to read John 14 for a, for a Christian. But it's about more than just the individual believer going to heaven, as we're going to see. So here's the ascension question that we want to ask uh, today. How do we know... Jesus hasn't abandoned us. I mean, he left. And in John 14, that's the whole, the, the whole emotional feel of this passage. You're leaving us. You're orphaning us. You're abandoning us. Where are you going? How do we go with you? How do we know where you are? How do we know that you'll ever come back? How do we know that Jesus hasn't abandoned us? So look in your Bibles at John 14, and let's read verses 1 through 4. The whole chapter is related to this topic, but let's just begin with the first four verses. Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. But instead, for now, I go to prepare a place for you. Far from there not uh, that there, there is not room for you in heaven, I have told you there is, and more than that, I go to prepare a place for you. And then he says in verse 3, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. So far from abandoning us, Jesus is an exceptional host who is preparing for our heavenly 
homecoming. That's the idea of the lesson. That's the idea of this passage. Let me give you three main truths that kind of get you into the context, okay? Get your mind into this passage. So the first one is this. Jesus begins by saying, don't panic knowing that I am leaving. Okay, don't freak out. Don't panic. He's telling them I'm leaving, and basically these guys are suffering separation anxiety. They're like, what are we going to do? He's not going to be here. Where is he going? Why is he leaving us? Notice he says, do not be troubled in verse 1. And then he says it again at the end of the chapter in verse 27. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Now, this word troubled means emotional, mental, personal distress. It's inner turmoil. And here it's due to separation anxiety. The idea of where's he going? Now, why... Where is Jesus going? Where is he about to go? Well, there's two places he's about to go in the context. First, he's going to go to the cross. Look at John 13, 33 through 38. That's what he's talking about. And going, leading into this, he's going to the cross. Not only that, but he is going there because one of the disciples has betrayed him. One of their own. That would be troubling. Not only that, but one of their, the lead disciple, Peter, is going to fail him. So, you know, Peter says, well, it's not going to be me. I'm going to go with you wherever you, I'll, I'm, I'll die with you. And he says at the end of chapter 13, he says, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. That's troubling stuff, okay? He's going to the cross due to betrayal, we know, by Judas, and in that going to the cross, all the disciples will fail him. So he's going to the cross, but that's not all. He's going to ascend to heaven. He says he's going to heaven. He says, and you can go with me as well because you know the way. You know the way. So the first thing is, don't panic that I'm leaving you. Secondly, I go away to prepare a place for you. I go away to prepare a place for you. That's the idea. Uh, and we'll talk about that. He's, he's, he's saying he's going to reveal himself as the exceptional host who goes away to prepare for a heavenly homecoming, a family reunion of God's children. Third, I will return to bring you where I am. So don't panic, I'm leaving. I go to prepare a place, but I will return to bring you where I am. So the idea is I'm leaving, but I'm also returning to bring you back into my presence. And in this chapter and in our series, how does he bring them into his presence? He's going to do it two ways. First of all, by sending the Holy Spirit. He's going, to he's going to be up there. We're going to be down here. But how are we going to be present? He's going to send down the Holy Spirit. That's part of his ascension ministry. And he's going to talk a lot about that in chapter 14. But he's also talking about, when he says returning, he's talking about his second coming. That, hey, I'm going to be physically absent in heaven, but one of these days I'm going to be physically present back here on earth. And in the meantime... I'm making the necessary arrangements so that we can all be back in your presence. So here's the idea. John 14 is very much like Acts 1, uh, 9 through, or 10 through 11. I'm going up, but I'm coming back down. But what we learn in John 14 is between the going up and the coming back that he promised and talked about in Acts chapter 1... In between that, he's preparing a place for us. He's becoming a heavenly host for God's people. So how do we know Jesus hasn't abandoned us? The ascended Lord, ascended Lord went back to heaven to be the exceptional host who prepares for the homecoming. There's a homecoming of God's children. And like every exceptional host... And hostess, Jesus has an open heart that results in an open home. And that home is his father's house.
So amazing word pictures. So let's look at it and ask the question this morning, how does the ascended host prepare for our homecoming? Well, he does it like every host. He just does it in an exceptional, perfect, glorious way. And so let's look at the first point. The ascended host is eagerly anticipating our homecoming. That's what good hosts do. They can't wait for company to come. That's how you know if you are an exceptional host. Company's coming. Oh, bummer. Okay? Company's coming. Oh, great. Okay? And that's what he's doing. He is eagerly anticipating our arrival into his presence. He can't wait to welcome us back home. So look again at John 14. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 to get this idea. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go, go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, and that you is all in plural. He's talking about all of them. And remember, at this point, who has left the table? Who? Judas has left the table, okay? He's left the room. He has, according to verse 30, he has went out into the darkness. He's alone. He's not a part of the family. So when he says, plural, prepared a place for you, it's the true believer and the faithful disciples that he's talking to. Faithful, even though they fail, like Peter's going to fail, and yet they're faithful to always follow, pick themselves up. So here's what he's saying. He's preparing a place for his people in his presence. Why do I want to emphasize that? The reason I want to emphasize that is because that's the essence of God's kingdom. You say, what's the definition of God's kingdom? I hope you have learned this, uh, certainly by being in this class. The kingdom is God's presence dwelling with God's people in God's place. Okay? So just because kingdom is not in this passage, doesn't mean that the kingdom is not being talked about. He's saying, hey, the heavenly home is not merely up in heaven. It's going to be down here on earth where God's presence is going to rule with God's people over God's place. And these three ideas are just rolled around again and again in these two verses. So here's the first thing. His place... The Father's house has many rooms. That's the first thing he wants us to know about the place. The place has many rooms. That means there's always room for one, one more, right? That's what good hosts always say. Oh, you, know, you, you got room for, oh yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make room, okay? That's what Jesus is doing. He's making room for more in the Father's household. That's a beautiful thought. Now, you may be familiar with the King James translation. How would you remember this? In my father's house, there are many mansions. Mansions, yeah, that's in the King James, and uh, it's in the New King James as well. Well, what, what's that mean? Well, in our American understanding, we think we know exactly what mansions means. What's it mean? You know, it means a house like where Taylor Swift li lives in. I just got Taylor Swift illustrations today. So it's a mansion. It's a big, oh, I've seen pictures on social media of Mahomes. Have you seen his new mansion, right? You know, golf course on the thing and, and his own uh, football field. That's what we think of. And, and we think that each believer is going to get his own Mahomes mansion, right? And, uh, and the size of your mansion is going to depend on what? How much money you have? You're going to go to heaven and buy a mansion from God? Okay, switch from the concert. No. Hey, by the way, welcome Emily to the class. We're glad. Let's give her a hand. She, she's been well grounded from Zach's teaching, as you can see. We got, I don't think Zach taught you that, though. No, uh, our heavenly mansion. Our heavenly mansion. What what's going to determine the size, or what do people think? Your what? 
I can't. Good works. Good works. Yeah, yeah. The more the more faithful you are, the bigger the house, right? And there's all jokes about Peter walking around, whose mansion is that, and why is that a shack, and all that. Well, that's all American culture, and it draws from the uh, from forgetting that one word can have many meanings in different contexts, okay? So why is mansion there in that translation? Did they get it wrong? No, not at all. Mansions can be traced back to the English Bible translator William Tyndale back in 1526. But the word mansion back in Tyndale's day meant something different than what mansion means or comes to our mind here in 21st century America. The idea of a mansion, the meaning of the word in their day, was merely a dwelling place. Uh, for instance, where a pastor would, uh, a house provided for a pastor used to be called a manse. A dwelling place. That's what it means. And that's why even the Geneva Bible, which was around the same time, 1599, translates this verse, In my father's house are many dwelling places. Because that's what the word means. It means a place to rest, to dwell, and to live. So here's the point. In my father's house, there are many rooms. So there's always room for one more including you and people not like us, people who don't live where we live, people in the Philippines, people around the world. There are many rooms for many people. Now, isn't it ironic that the Lord Jesus Christ, who when he was born on this earth, when the Son of God became the incarnate child, baby, and born, there was no room for him in Bethlehem. And yet this incarnate God, who was humiliated to the point to where there was no room for him on the earth that he created, has ascended and is making room for all who will come into his presence. Is that not beautiful? That's the God that we serve. So that's his place. What about his people? There's room for many, but they must be his people. The family of God who must be born again by faith alone in Christ alone. There are many rooms, but but the people that will enter those rooms must be a part of the family of God who must be born again by faith alone in Christ alone. Now, do we have that, Audra? Do we have that? Thank you. The family of God who must be born again. So... Look at verse 1. This is how he starts it out. So all these promises are great. But look at verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. And basically what he's saying is you already believe in God. But now you need to believe in me with the same trust, with the same truth, and the same confidence that you believe in God. In other words, to be in the Father's house, you've got to believe in the Father's Son. And that is the challenge of evangelism and missions. Because a lot of people think, well, I'm God's child. All of us are God's child, right? We're all born. Well, yeah, we're born naturally, but you've got to be born again. You've got to believe in the Son. And the Father, as you're going to see later in this chapter, to get to the Father, to enter into the presence of Father, there's only... One way, one truth, and one life, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to believe. Thirdly, His presence. His presence. The future hope of dwelling in God's presence with God's people in God's place. So, all of this is great. He's in heaven doing this. We have a place in heaven, but ultimately, heaven is going to be on earth. And we're going to dwell... Our hope in His promise and that which He is preparing for is for God's presence to come down and for His people to dwell with Him in His place with no more tears, no more death, no more hospice, no more operations, no more suffering, no more separation anxiety. No more being fearful of this fallen world, our own selfish, sinful desires, satanic powers working against us. 
uh, one of the things Jordan and Nikki have been dealing with their whole furlough is satanic warfare, spiritual warfare back at their church in the Philippines. Forces against them. The Schmitz have had to uh, temporarily come back again for some health issues. I said, well, what can I pray for? Well, it wasn't about physical stuff. It was, there's just intense spiritual warfare going on that island back in Mozambique. No more of that. That's our hope. We're going to dwell in God's presence. There's no more evil. None of that. That's a glorious thing. Notice 14.3, the end of verse 3. This is the climax of these power-packed verses. He says, here's the deal. I will come again and receive you to myself. That, what's the purpose of his return? That where I am, you may be also. That's why he says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'm going to come. Well, here's the point. The ascended host is eager to welcome us into his presence in the Father's heavenly home. Let me tell you, the Regas family is eagerly anticipating and welcoming Amber home at 10.35 p.m. if we can figure out how to get her at the new airport. So we're praying about that and diligently researching that. Somehow sitting in the phone parking lot for your daughter who's been gone for this time and saying, hey, call us when you're ready, isn't going to cut it. So somehow we've got to figure out how to get in to the airport and greet her at the gate. So here's the idea. Many are welcome because there's room for everyone. Listen to me. These truths are so precious to us. Sitting at the bedside of Leonard in hospice. Now, you just think about this. You know, John and Shirley are there with their husband and dad and family and friends, but it's hospice. There's there's no... You're there for one reason. You're there to die. What can you say? What, I mean, you know, our glib, hey, how you doing? You know, just isn't going to work, you know. Uh, hey, we're praying that you'll get better. No, that's not what we're praying. He's not going to get better. You know what you say? You go to John 14. I opened up. I said, Leonard, I've been working on this for two weeks. And let me tell you, Jesus has ascended and is ready to welcome you. He is preparing for your arrival. And when you understand Leonard's life, and if you've talked to him for more than five minutes, you've heard his whole life. And it's an amazing story. And I do not tire of hearing it. Here's a man who has lived a life on this earth, apart from his beloved family and getting saved, of rejection, of just rejection. Rejection in his own family. Rejection from his own father, right? And having to reject his father in his alcoholism. Rejection by, from being an Italian. No, let me correct. He will correct you. A Sicilian American. They are not Italians. Go visit him. Learn some things. It's, it's fascinating. But we're talking about a place where you have felt very unwelcome. With wounds that even a loving family that even knowing Christ, this side of heaven, does not erase. But you can also talk to Leonard for not more than 10 minutes, and you will hear his testimony, and you will hear how Christ... Well, listen, it's not just Leonard. It's all of us. We all feel unwelcomed at times. We all feel out of place, even in our own families, even in our own marriages, or we, we're single, therefore we feel like we're out of place, or we're, we're uh, single again, therefore we have regret or wonder, where do I fit in? Listen, there's one who is anticipating eagerly your arrival, and you will always be welcome. Can I get an amen? Let's get vocal about this. Isn't that glorious? Let me tell you, you can go in and look 
death in the face when you have this truth and you know this ascended Lord. He is waiting. There are welcome banners with Leonard's name on it. And there can be welcome banners with your name on it that are being prepared now in heaven. So, J.C. Ryle, uh, one of my favorite authors, says this. There will be room for all believers and room for all sorts, for little saints as well as great ones, for the weakest believer as well as the strongest. The feeblest child of God need not fear. There will be, need not fear that there will be no place for him. None will be shut out, but impenitent, that is unrepentant, and obstinate unbelievers. They will have no welcome. They will only have wrath. Listen, there's never a no vacancy sign in God's house when it comes to a humble, repentant believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he ascended, not to abandon us, but to eagerly welcome us. That's what exceptional hosts do. Secondly, the ascended host is diligently preparing for our homecoming. It's one thing to anticipate. It's another thing to prepare. And that's what he is doing. He is diligently preparing for our homecoming. Look again at verses 2 and 3. I go to do what? Say it together. Prepare. And he says in verse 3, if I go and prepare. So he's preparing. He tells us exactly what he's doing in his ascension. Now, here's what's interesting about the word go repeated twice. The word go is the same word that's used in Acts 1, 10 through 11 for the ascension. It's a geographical location. I am moving from earth to heaven. I go. But why do you go? I go to prepare, repeated two times. Now, what does prepare mean? It literally means preparing a place for guests to come and dwell or preparing for the arrival of family into the home. I have in your notes Philemon 22, verse 22. We just studied the whole book of Philemon, and here's how Paul ends that. He says, at the same time, also writing to Philemon, prepare me a lodging. And that word prepare is the same word that's found here by Jesus. But there he says, prepare me a lodging. And the word for lodging means literally a guest room. Prepare me a guest room. Why? Because he's not going to live with Philemon forever. He's only going to visit. So he says, make ready the guest room for me. But here, Jesus does not use the word for a guest room. He uses the word for many rooms, for a permanent dwelling place. So he's going to prepare not to invite you into heaven and someday kick you out because you don't have enough money to buy your place. He's not going to kick you out because you don't have enough works to maintain and secure your salvation. No, it's a permanent dwelling place. So as our exceptional host, Jesus is diligently working out the details and making all the necessary arrangements. Now, I know it's different for the Nisleys, but let me tell you, all they've been doing about halfway through furlough, the first half of three months, you get settled in here in the States. And then the second half, what do you do? One day you shift and you're like, now we got to be thinking and making arrangements and preparing for going home. Well, it's the same idea when you have company coming. So what do you think Gwen's been doing the last few weeks and months? I mean, that honeydew list, it it, it just multiplies. I mean, I sit down to relax. Think you can cut the grass? Think you can do it? Why? Because we're getting ready for who? For Amber to come home. So we got we to gotta, we gotta go buy food. We got to, we got to, well, what do we do? We went and bought a car. You got to buy a new car when your daughter comes. No, we, her car got totaled. But we did have to get that done. 
had to get the AC fixed in the other car because we don't want the beloved daughter sweating. You know, that wouldn't be good. We've been cleaning. We had to get a new mattress because her bed was creaky, which was sufficient when she was a... I, I used to, oh, that bed's fine. Quit complaining. Just, that's fine. And then one night uh, I, I was sick or something and I had to sleep in that bed. Maybe I got in trouble with Gwen. I don't know. I forget. <laughs> but I had to sleep in that bed. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this bed is horrible. How has she survived this? So she got a new mattress. We had to do that. We're making plans for time together. Why? Because company's coming. That's what the Lord Jesus is doing in heaven. He is making arrangements. And let me just say and shout out to our uh, hosts for our grow groups. Listen, if you've never hosted a grow group, you don't understand. And if you just come, you go, wow, I just, I, I come and the doors open and the place is clean and food is prepared and chairs are set out. No, that takes preparation, diligent preparation that often begins way before Sunday and certainly takes place Sunday afternoon. And so we want to say what? Thank you to our grow group hosts. They know exactly what I'm talking about because they, they do it on a regular basis. So let's talk a little bit about this. What is the ascended Jesus diligently preparing? It's not like he's putting out chairs. He's not vacuuming the carpet. What is he doing? He's preparing for our arrival at death, but more so our reunion at the second coming. He's arranging for our arrival at death. Here's the good news. As you sit at at the bedside of a beloved believer and and the natural questions about why and why now and why in this way, you can understand that all of this has been prepared. It's all been under God's sovereign provision and preparation. And while those questions naturally come, the answers are found in him. Amen? He is the one preparing Now, how does the ascended Jesus diligently prepare? How does he do it? Well, ultimately, he prepared in eternity past. The triune God made all these arrangements in eternity past. The preparation began there in Bethlehem with the incarnation. Actually, before that, in Nazareth with the virgin conception. It entered into history. But here in John 14... The preparation is Jesus going to the cross, Jesus being buried, dying, and then resurrecting. And the preparation is not just the resurrection, but now you know what follows the resurrection. The ascension. And in the ascension comes the glorification and the session and the procession of the Spirit and the intercession, and the direction of the head, and the preparation of the host. All of this is a part of what Jesus is doing to prepare for his reunion with us. So here's what I want you to learn from this. His diligent preparation is far more than just preparing for our individual arrival in heaven. So here's what I want you to take. I want you to take this passage that is such a comfort at the death of a believer and understand that truth is there, but there is a far greater truth. Because we as individuals, you know, God didn't do all this just for me and just for you. It's not an individualized salvation. It is a, a redemptive history. It's a kingdom building thing. So It's preparing all of history for his return to rule with his people in his kingdom in the new creation. So Jesus, again, we just tend our selfishness, we make it about us, right? Or our our loved one. Okay, all Jesus has been doing is preparing for me to to see me. (laughs) Okay, There's there's a truth in that and there's a comfort in that. But he's preparing all of history. Everything that's going on in in your life and everything that's going on in this world is going on to prepare for this homecoming. Now, that doesn't answer every question about suffering 
It doesn't answer every question about evil, but it tells you the ultimate answer. Why is this? Why is God allowing this? Because he's preparing. He's preparing for the ultimate coming of his kingdom. And so what should we remember about his diligent preparation? I just sat and I thought, okay, so he's preparing. What do I need to keep in mind about this? Let me give you four answers from the Bible that that I came up with. Number one, the wisdom of his preparation. God knows what he's doing because he's wiser than you. Why is Leonard going home now? I don't know, but he does. And he's wise. And it's going to be for the best. It's going to be for his glory. It's going to be for Leonard's good. It's going to be for John and Dustin and Chris and Shirley. He's wise. He has a perspective, John, that we don't. Okay? He has a perspective. And his prep is is wise. Secondly, the sovereignty of his preparation. The sovereignty, his providence. He's putting things together. And some things you don't know until a decade later. And some things we won't know until heaven. Job never understood the providence of God in allowing his suffering. We do. Do you realize that, uh, and and we don't know that Jesus has told Job even in heaven. I I don't know. He probably has since he told us. It would be kind of awkward. Hey, Job. You want to know what really happened? You know, so I think he knows now. But please understand, he never knew in God's providence what was going on. But his sovereignty. Third, the long-suffering of his preparations. The long-suffering. God is patient because he's pursuing the lost. And for us to have this reunion, listen, when the reunion comes, there's no more evangelism. When the reunion takes place, there's no more missions. It's over. So why, at least one reason is the, the father heart of God to see the lost, hear the gospel. So the long suffering of his preparation. And then finally, the timing of his preparations. The timing of it. We, we learned from Acts 1, right? Remember? The times and the seasons are not for us to know. The son doesn't even know them. It's his timing and there's a mystery. Now, if all of this, here's what, here's what you want to see. If all of this goes into the preparations for our heavenly home, do you think the Lord's going to forget to come back and get us? No, no. You know, you think, you know, at 10, 15, we're going to be sitting at home going, oh, oh we got to go get Amber at the airport. We forgot. No, because we've been eagerly anticipating, diligently preparing. And so has the Son. So, beloved, He hasn't forgotten you. You got difficulties at home? He hasn't forgotten you. You're in a troubled marriage? He hasn't forgotten you. You got parenting anxieties? He hasn't forgotten. You've got all sorts of issues. You have trouble a troubled heart a troubled heart he hasn't forgotten he's he's diligently preparing and he's providentially overruling and wisely planning each and everything in this sin soaked world isn't that good that's what our ascended lord is doing but but There's a third. There's a third thing. Not only that, and this is the last. The ascended host has graciously explained the house rules before our homecoming. That's important. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. If it were not so, I would have told you. Basically, in this chapter, he keeps saying, I'm telling you this ahead of time so that when it happens, you won't be surprised. So here's the idea. Here's the idea. I'm telling you the house rules. The ascended host is more than willing to welcome you 
on his terms. On his terms. In other words, all are welcome. Believe in my son. There's many rooms. We have a room for you. But it's on my terms. Because it's my house. Is that how it works, Becky? My house? My what? Yeah, see, you guys know that. You guys know that. And if somebody challenged you on that, Carmen, and said, Carmen, who do you think you are? I can come into your house and live any old way I want. And you would show them to the door with a little swift kick in the uh, Spanish backside, right? (laughs) See, here's here's the funny thing about us. We totally get this when it's our house. Then when it's God's house, suddenly he's unfair. He's unjust. He's unloving. But no, it's his house. It's his rules. And thank God, he's gracious enough to tell us before we come. And that's what good hosts do. You don't let someone come in your house and don't tell them which bathroom is the best to use, which doors shouldn't be opened, you know, what food you can eat, what you can't eat. There are always house rules. And good hosts explain them. And good guests follow them. We submit to them. And we do it not because, wow, this is a legalistic host. I'll never come back. to No, it's because we love the host. And we know the host loves us. And we know the rules are in the best interest of us as guests. And that's their rules because they're the host. So make yourself at home here. But here's how we do things in the Father's house. That's the idea. So here's what I've given you. And this isn't the bulk of this. I just I want you to see that the whole rest of the chapter 14, the rest of chapter 14, you can work your way through it and see at least seven house rules. Okay? So here's the first one. And I have them written there because I didn't. I didn't. I just, I just want you to see them. Here they are. And you go home, you read John 14, but we'll read a little, a few of them and we'll kind of go through it. First of all, you have to know the way home. Okay. <laughs> How are you going to come when, when people come to your house? What do you say? I, I wish I put a direction. Uh, <laughs> I wish I had this. I saw it this week on social media. There was a co- street corner with four signs that had directions and they all had north on them. One arrow went up. This highway north so-and-so go straight. Another highway north so-and-so go left. And the other highway north uh, highway so-and-so go right. And uh, uh, my friend put on there, when you get to the corner, go north. <laughs> you know, and it was like, oh, I don't, I don't know. How do we do this? How do we do this? You got to know the way. Well, what's he say? He says in verse 4, and you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and you have seen him. Verse 7. So you have to know the way. And here's the idea. If you know me, you know the Father. If you think you know the Father, but you reject me, you don't know either one. Okay? Number two, you have to recognize the host is the triune God. If uh, Basically, read the rest of the chapter because there's this... It gets a little confusing because he's like, well, if you know me, then you know the Father. If you know the Father, then you know me. And But you can't know me or the Father unless you know the Spirit. But if you know the Spirit, you'll know me. And he just... He goes through this... And he's really unpacking the doctrine of the triunity of God. And so listen, listen, listen to me, because this is common among professing Christians. You, you don't pit the son against the father. The father's not the mean one and the son's the loving one. OK, and you don't know and you don't exalt the spirit at the expense of the son. It's all about the spirit. There, there, there's a lady on, on social media that all she talks about is Jesus. It's always Jesus. Always Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And, and some people think that's really godly. And I'm like, 
do you not know the other two persons of the Trinity? Have you not met them? Listen, any overemphasis, and yes, you can overemphasize Jesus if you neglect the Father and you forget the Son. So that's you've got to recognize that the host is one God, three persons, and you have to recognize all three of them. Okay, number three. Uh, do you have to love the host enough to live by his rules? Okay, so let's take a look at these verses. He's talking along, comforting, loving. I'm going to be with you. You're going to be with me. It's real. It's warm. It's fuzzy. It's welcoming. And then he throws in verse 15. Look at verse 15. If you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. Then he talks a little bit more. We're together in this. This is going to be good. Verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So the the keeping the rules is not a legalism. It's out of love. If you love God. You follow his commandments. And if you're following his commandments, you're demonstrating your love for God. Here we see that we don't get to enter the Father's house while all that we don't. Listen, you if if you're expecting a welcome in heaven and the whole time here on earth, you're living by your rules and not the Lord's rules. The door will be shut. The door will be shut. And this is something that we, you know, we think, well, a loving God will let me in. I I can live any way I want as a pattern, as a habit, as a rebellion and a rejection. And then I'm going to be welcome. And this is something that prodigals and their parents have to learn in a very heart-wrenching, difficult way. And the idea is many prodigals think they can go out and live any way they want, and then when they get in trouble, come home and still live the way they used to live out there. But that's not how it works in the home. you got to live my house, my rules. And that's heart-wrenching for the parents. It's hard. But that's the way it is in the Father's house. Number four, you have to be born again to be enlightened and enabled by the Spirit. You're like, hey, Chris, this ascension stuff is, you know, expanding my mind and and blowing me away, and I don't understand all of it. Well, you can only blame a measure of that on my inability as a teacher. There's also the, the fact that we humanly don't have the capacity to understand these things. We need the Spirit. But the Spirit won't teach you if He hasn't first regenerated you. You've got to be born again and have the Spirit to understand these things. And that's part of what He promises in John 14. Number uh, five, you have to have fellowship with the family, not the world. Now, look at verses 22 through 24. Notice what He says, Judas, not Iscariot. Uh, You know, what an unfortunate naming that there are two disciples with the name of Judas. (laughs) Hi, who are you? Judas, not Iscariot. Okay. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us, but not the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. There you go again. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. So here's the beauty. He's preparing one day for us to dwell in his presence. The good news is you don't have to wait for that day. He will come and abide with you through the spirit the moment you get saved. Isn't that good? The world doesn't get in on that. Number six, you have to grasp the apostolic teaching on the ascension as vital to our homecoming. He ends with this. Look at verses 25 and 26. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name after the ascension, 
He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Without the ascension, the, the final discourse, the farewell discourse, would be meaningless without the ascension. And then number seven, you have to believe that the host has secured our homecoming through his humiliation. Here's the good news. These are seven things. These are the house rules, and you have to keep them. But here's the good news. The ascended Lord has made the preparations. He enables you to keep them. Okay? He is the one who gives you the rules. He's revealed them ahead of time, but he's also given you the indwelling Holy Spirit so that we can keep the rules before he comes. That's the ascended Lord. So here's what I end with. You don't have to remain a Judas living alone out in the darkness. Amen? You can be welcomed into the Father's house. Judas did not have to reject the Lord. Secondly, you don't have to remain a failing disciple like Peter, sinking in your shame, puffed up in your pride and your self-confidence. You don't have to be outside the family like Judas, and you don't have to be a failing disciple like Peter. The ascended Lord is eagerly anticipating, diligently preparing, and he's already graciously explained the house rules. He has graciously explained, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will return that you may be with me where I am. What a hope. Amen. Let's pray. Father, seal these truths in our lives. Maybe everything's going well right now and we think, you know what? This God thing, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm a believer and, you know, but I've got this. If I need you, I'll call you. Lord, break us of that. Humble us, as painful as it may be. Help us see that we need you as our ascended Lord every day, every moment. And let us, if we're outside in the darkness, repent and believe. Lord, if we're puffed up in pride and think that we don't need to stay connected to our head, we don't have to be in the Word. We can make do and survive on our own wits and abilities. Humble us of that. Break us of that. And Lord, if we're sitting in shame thinking I failed and I could never look Jesus in the face again, He is eagerly anticipating us coming back. And He will come to us. To restore us. May that happen in hearts right now, today. In Jesus' name.